I'm about to introduce the preacher. One time the Pope took, went for a holiday to the US. And then he was over speeding. So, so he, he told the, the, the chauffeur, you drive me every time. I'm on holiday. Let me also have opportunity to drive. So he starts driving. Then he starts going past the speed. Because I think being the Pope, he was used to being driven faster than the, the usual speed. But now because he's not in the official Pope convoy and he's on holiday. So the, the chauffeur starts telling him, Your Holiness, you're over speeding. He says, Don't worry, I'm the Pope. So, anyway, before long, they were stopped by a trooper. You know those guys with very fast cars, the police. And the guy came and took a look at the driver. Then he looked at the guy. So he called headquarters. He said, I think I've stopped someone really important. And says, who have you stopped? Have you stopped the, the, the mayor? No, no, no. Way higher. Says, what do you mean way higher? Have you stopped the state representative? No, no, no. Have you stopped a congressman? No. Have you stopped a governor? No, no, no. What do you mean? Have you stopped the president of another country? Or the president of the... So, no. Says, I don't know who I've stopped, but the Pope is the chauffeur. Hey. <laughs> hey. When the Pope is the chauffeur, whoever is in the back, you shouldn't have stopped. So, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not the Pope. I'm just a chauffeur, but whoever is in the back. If I were you, eh, I would tell all the people, wherever that, please don't expect to hear from me in the next two hours because. Oh, yes. So many years ago, when we were a small church, that was either unknown or disliked. It, was, it had to be one of the two things. If you knew us, you disliked us. If you didn't know us, you either didn't know us or you knew us and disliked us. We didn't have friends as worshipers. And Pastor M and Pastor Carol and Mavuno Church opened their doors opened their hearts and invited us in and we started feeling like normal Christians and the rest like they say is history and when we needed to plant this church in Nairobi Pastor M gave us the right hand of fellowship allowed Pastor Aggie to continue working at Mavuno while planting Worship like who does that? Like a person who is planting the other church also is working this way, and you're even paying them salary so they can plant the other church. Hey, and he gave us Pastor Milton to be one of our. What do they call them? What do they call those people? 
the ones who, who like are the who are the legal representatives of, so of directors. Pastor Milton is one of the directors of Worship Harvest in Kenya. What a director. <laughs> and so this whole thing you're seeing here it would never be a possibility if it wasn't for Pastor Emma and Pastor Carol. So I want you to organize, wait, organize your excitement. Package it properly. Eh? Prepare it. And help me give a joyful welcome to Pastor Just, uh, just to say good morning, good morning, and um, it's just to pray, to pray for this session, and um, I think I always say that whenever I come to a session like this one, I always say, Lord, when you're calling on others, do not pass me by, and it's not just a casual passing, I want that by the time I'm coming out of this place, my life has been transformed, in fact, I have had such a mind shift uh, my whole orientation has changed. And I think that's what I want to pray for us today. Amen. So I just want us to put our hands on our heads and just to begin to call on God and to say, dear Jesus, we cannot be here. We cannot have given up this morning. We cannot have given up this day. We cannot have given up this whole weekend to come here and walk out the same. We are not even asking for a transformation. We are asking Jehovah God for a complete mind change. For a complete reorientation. May this be a landmark meeting. May this be a landmark time when we say that in 2023, in July, when we went to Nairobi, or when we came together with Worship Harvest, our lives have never been the same again. Jehovah God, we are thirsty for you. Jehovah God, we truly want to hear from you. We thank you for the things that you have deposited in us. Thank you for the lessons that we learned from Abmo beginning yesterday. Indeed, he called us pastors of 1,000. There's a seed of greatness in each one of us. There's a movement in each one of us. We just need to take that word and to believe you for it. Father, we believe you for it. We believe you for the words that have been spoken over us the whole of yesterday and even today. We stand attentive, Jehovah God. We say, King of Kings, we are here. King of Kings, take over. 
King of things, we wait upon you, Jehovah. Have your way amongst us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Amen. Come on, let's hear it for Pastor Carol. Thank you so much, Suti. Amen. Please have your seats. It's such a joy for me to be here. And uh, I just, first of all, I don't understand why this man trusts us so much and would give us such a privilege to speak to such a, a, a gathering. I just sense that he has such a powerful word. In fact, when he came up, I was hoping he would say, the Holy Spirit is saying, let me just continue with Ephesians. Because that word is so much the word that I'm receiving myself. And so I kept telling him, I think you should just continue. I think you should just continue. Uh, but I thank God for our friendship. I thank you because the Lord has allowed us to have brothers and sisters uh, in worship harvest. Um, I, I don't know why he connected us in the way he did but you have changed our lives. You know those friends that change your life. And uh, as he talks about what we have done, I think it's been both ways. Uh, we have been blessed tremendously, completely. We're a different church because of Worship Harvest. And so we are so grateful to be in friendship. Uh, I call up more my brother. Whenever I write, I always write brother. Uh, and no titles, he's just my brother. Uh, I, Pastor Ari, she's my sister. Uh, we have many things in common. We are both gardeners. And we're saying, I think we've broken all the, we've broken all the gardening laws of our, of our respective nations. I send her all the plants from Kenya and she sends me the ones from Uganda. I think one day we might get arrested for our work. <laughs> but uh, it's, a shared, it's a shared passion. We both, we both love green things. We both love to see things growing. And uh, it's such a delight. Let me just say, for me, I'm looking around and wondering, who did you leave in Worship Harvest? All, all my friends are here. Who's looking after the family there? All the people are here. Thank you for bringing such a powerful delegation uh, to us in Kenya. Can we just, the people of Kenya, can we just appreciate this amazing, amazing delegation, this incredible pastors who have come to bring us God's blessing. We thank God for you. We are so, so grateful uh, for every single one of you. Amen. You know, um, we are so grateful for Worship Harvest Nairobi. Come on. It's such a, every time we think about this church, we just thank God. Um, I think Abmo is very strategic because he sent a young man called Sam ostensibly to do uh, an internship at Mavuno Church. We had no idea that there were other motives and what he did is he found one of our daughters in Mavuno Church and married her. <laughs> Talk about strategic. Huh? <laughs> what a strategy. You, you plant churches by all means necessary. Including going and marrying their daughters. And so... We thank God because in the process, we became in-laws. I think we always say, worship harvest now, you're our in-laws. Because you married our daughter. We were so grateful that we had the opportunity to pay back the favor. <laughs> I 
We learn. We, f- we follow closely. We follow hard. So we said, if this is a strategy, we also can do it. So we sent a young man called Emmanuel to find the pearl of Africa herself. <laughs> and so we are grateful to be in-laws at many, many levels. And, uh, and Pastor Emmanuel and Pastor will also be planting a church very soon. And so following hard, following hard. We follow hard and we bless the Lord. So thank you so much for just being our... And by the way, we have many other young men in Mavuno who are looking for good, beautiful Ugandan brides. And we know you have some young men as well. So I feel like we can continue this exchange program. Uh, We are very happy to continue this exchange program. I believe that uh, the Lord will be blessed. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the first command was to multiply and fill the earth. Amen, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Seriously, how can we be planting churches before we've even obeyed the first command? We multiply. Yeah. It's true. It's true. We multiply. Multiply. You know, my, 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 my deep doctrine, this one I, I believe with all my heart. I think I'm going to write a book about it one day is that that first command is the most disobeyed command. Multiply and fill the earth. Because nowadays, people have one child. That's not multiplying. That's dividing. That's disobedience. How can you be a Christian and have one child? That is disobedience. Yeah. I should be doing the altar call right now. Some people are calling themselves pastors of thousands and they have one child. How is that? How is that? By the way, I'm not joking. I'm serious. For me, I'm serious. When you talk to the Muslims, they understand that command. In fact, then they have four wives so they can multiply quickly. For us, with our one wife, you're having one child. How is that? That's division, isn't it? And then I always say two children is okay, but that's addition. Actually, it's replacement. That's replacement. Two children is replacement. You have not yet multiplied. Altar call. Pastor Chris, I'm not even looking at you right now. Two children. That's replacement. You only begin to multiply at number three. Yeah. At least you have 1.5 times 1.5. I know, you can see the obedient ones standing up. The ones who know how to fulfill the, the command of scriptures. <laughs> so, to all the single people in the house, as you're trusting God for marriage partner, I don't even know, maybe we should even pray right now for those marriage partners. Yeah. But don't receive a partner, then misappropriate the blessing by having one child. No. Allah, they're here already. <laughs> According to your faith, let's pray. Actually, if you are single and you're trusting God for a godly spouse, we want to pray for you right now. We're going to pray for you right now. Pastor Carol, come, come and say this prayer. Come and say this prayer. They're already here. 
By the way, this was not the message as you can imagine, but the Holy Spirit is in the house. If you're single and you're trusting God for a godly spouse, maybe you have found the person you're dating right now, but the Lord has to confirm and you're trusting God to fulfill this and make you one. We want to pray. As you come up, <laughs> all right, all right, let me say something. Listen to me. Listen to me. This may not be what I had planned to start with, but I sense in my spirit this is what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. This is not a laughing matter. This is, a, this is an issue of surrender, submission, and following the Holy Spirit. Marriage is not about you. God doesn't give us marriage to make us happy. He gives us marriage to make us holy. And so, you know, Jesus asked his disciples, can you drink this cup? <laughs> and I know all of you are saying, yes, I can. But I, I ask that as the Lord answers this prayer, that you would understand that God is giving you a helpmate for the work that he has for you. Should be alone unless they choose to do that. And so, Father, today, today is July 1st. We are in this place, this place that has been consecrated as a holy place. Father, we release the anointing and the blessing of marriage upon everyone whose knee is bowed down and upon all those who are trusting you for a partner. Jehovah God, may those whose eyes are closed open them in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we pray that those uh, that uh, those who need to look will see. Indeed, we always say, watch and pray. May that be the, 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 the atmosphere. May that be what happens where people watch and pray. And may they find their life partner in this place. Jehovah God, we say no to time wasters in the mighty name of Jesus. Father, we ask you to level all mountains that are facing these people, preventing the sisters from being seen, preventing the brothers from their eyes being open. Father, we clear those mountains and speak straight paths for everyone who is here. And we pray that this time next year, there will be testimonies. There will be testimonies. Indeed, Father, we are praying for miracles. Miracles, Jehovah God. We are trusting you for unusual miracles. We are trusting you for this. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Bless the Lord for all of you. You've heard what the woman of God has said. So we are trusting God for miracles. Amen. This week, while you're here, People from Uganda, watch and pray. Don't just, don't just pray. <laughs> when you're at Fearless Summit, keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. There could be a saint right there who's also watching. And your eyes meet in the middle of the prayer. Amen. All right, all right. Please sit, please sit, please sit. We need to preach the word. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. Ah, I love, I love that message about having everything, I have everything, everything, I have it. It's so, so true. It's so, so true. 
you know, it's so easy sometimes to fear that God doesn't have my best interest at heart. I, I don't know. Have you ever been in a place where you maybe were afraid that if I serve God, there might be something that I really want that I may not get. There might be a lifestyle that I desire that might be kept from me. There might be a place he asks me to go that I didn't want to go. There might be something he asks me to do that I did not intend to do. Anybody ever had a... Yeah. Yeah, there are some real people in the house. Yeah, It's like, what, what, if, what if I surrender and then... ah. Afghanistan. Mercy. Oh, he asks me to become single like Paul. We've just prayed for marriage, yeah? But what if, what if he called me to serve him and I'm single? What, what does that mean? Oh, I don't, or, or something happens to me. He asked me to do something that I didn't want to do. Have you ever found yourself sometimes, just once in a while, maybe fearful? Because you're not 100% sure. You know, this is not something that is unusual among Christians. Today I want to speak, you know, as I prayed about what to speak, and you know, it's always hard to speak after Abmoa. Eh? I don't know, like, whoever relishes that opportunity. Notice very well that I never speak after him at Fearless. When I'm in charge of the program, I never speak after him. It's like, once the man has spoken, let him just speak, you know? So when he told me to speak after him, I thought, what do I say? But the word I sensed God gave me, and I said, and I didn't even know exactly what he'd speak about. So I said, okay, Lord, you tell me. And the word God told me to speak about was on the joy of surrender. The joy of surrender. You know, surrender is an interesting word. If you ever played games as a child, surrender was not the nice word. Surrender is when the other person wins. Isn't it? Surrender is when they put the thing in your hand, you put your, they put the gun in your, hand, in your back and you put up your hand. Surrender is when somebody else has won and you're conceding. In fact, I remember hearing a preacher the other day saying it, he didn't like the word surrender because it felt like losing. He likes the word, he likes the word yield. It's, it's a bit more... I say, I'm not sure that's what the Bible talks about. You know, surrender is when... It, the, word, the words that mean the same thing include words like yield, submit, concede, cave in, succumb, quit, give up, resign. When someone succumbs to a disease, that's not a good thing. It means that the disease killed them, isn't it? Like the disease killed you. When somebody resigns, it means you no longer have a job. It's not a nice thing when somebody resigns. When somebody gives up, it means you've lost hope of achieving the thing you wanted to achieve. That's what giving up means. When somebody submits, it means that you realize that someone else is stronger than you and that you quit. I can't do this anymore. And I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of person who likes to be in control. I like, I like being, knowing the outcomes in my life. 
I like sort of knowing if I do this, Lord, then what will happen? If I follow you, how will this work? And I like having a plan B, just, okay, maybe I shouldn't confess this, I'm a pastor. I, I, I like having that plan just in case if I do it and then it doesn't work, what will I do? Am I talking to anybody in the house? Okay, I thought I'm the only one who's a sinner in this room. You guys are looking so spiritual this morning, you know? Look at your neighbor. Do they look like a super spiritual saint? Yeah, I know. I know. That's why I'm intimidated because of your neighbor, that neighbor of yours. Tell them, stop looking so spiritual. You're intimidating the preacher. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah, most of us don't like to be surrendered. We don't like the real term, surrender. It's a nice word to sing songs about. I'm surrendered. <laughs> it's a nice song, isn't it? Uh-huh. Ask, ask wives how fun it is to surrender to their husbands. Ah, ask them. Ask them to tell you, the real ones, how much fun they have with that concept. Ah, your wife has a lot of fun, Pastor Kev. He has been told, sit down. <laughs> it's an easy song to sing. It's an easy song to sing. But you know, many times when the practical comes, when the rubber meets the road, this thing called surrender, it's not an easy thing. I remember back in the day, I don't know if you had this, but I remember back in the day, the old Christians would say, my name is so-and-so, I'm saved. Uh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. My personal Lord and my Savior. Was it personal Savior or personal Lord? One of them. Personal something. But they always had that distinction. Lord, Savior. You know, I really think it's much easier to relate to Jesus as Savior than Lord. This lordship business is serious business. And that's why I really feel like today I'd like to talk about the joy of surrender. There's something that happens to us when we surrender because it's the best thing that you could ever do. It's the best thing that you could ever do. Maybe I'll start before I, I, I I'll, I'll share. Today, Apmo talked about the fact that I, and, and I receive. I am. I am a very blessed person. I'm extremely blessed. I'm embarrassingly blessed. Okay. I am. I'm so embarrassingly blessed that it's only recently that I started sharing with people how blessed I am. Do you ever get blessed until you don't know how to share it? Yeah. Like, it's like, I don't know what to tell people because if I tell them, they'll wonder. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I, and, and I've been so blessed that it's actually not, it's not commensurate with my age, my profession, what I've done, my experience. It's not commensurate. And I mean blessed in every way. But you know, it's very interesting when I think back that my understanding of this whole thing came about not when I got saved. Jesus became my savior after my Form 4 exams when I became a believer. And I went to a Christian camp and I gave my life to Jesus. And I don't know, maybe like the people around me, many of the people around me, it was fire insurance. Have anybody know fire insurance, salvation? 
I need a savior because there's a hell. And I need fire insurance because the world is going to burn and I don't want to burn. And so I got saved. But you know, it was years later. And I remember this, I was 16 when I gave my life to Jesus as my, and I received him as my savior. Nobody taught me that there was a distinction between a savior and a Lord. I thought, I thought, I, I thought that was it. At 22, I did an internship under Bishop Oscar. Um, he's, he's our spiritual father and a man who has impacted our lives more than anybody I can imagine. And he sent us on a mission trip to... He, he, the way he believed in leadership development back in the day, I don't know about now, but back in the day, his, meth, his method was we throw them against the wall. If they stick, they belonged there. Like he threw you in the deep end and you learned to swim because you swim or you drown, you know. And I believe he was just those ones of, these ones are going to face demons, so they better know how to fight. So his instruction was, I need you to take some students, go to, North, go to take them on a short-term mission to some dangerous place. So we didn't, we were the first interns, we had never, we did, I even had to go and read, there was no Google those days, so we had to go to a library and find a book saying, what is a mission? And, because nobody had taught me this. And I remember learning and saying, oh, so we taught this, we got some students, we recruited five uh, college students, men, five women, taught them how to fundraise, uh, found some missionaries in Northern Kenya, very dangerous place. Um, convinced them that this was a good place for us to go and do missions, to convince their parents that it was a good idea to let their children entrust them to us, got on a bus and traveled many, many hours to the northern part of Kenya. It was so dangerous, they had to have armed escorts uh, to, to protect the bus. And it was just a crazy, crazy two weeks, just the most crazy experience. I think it was two or three weeks. And we had no idea what we were doing, but we did it, you know. And I, I love that he just would throw you in and it's like, figure it out. But one of the days, the missionaries had a day of fasting. And every Thursday, they had their day of fasting. I'd never fasted. Nobody told me that Christians fast. And so I'm there and um, they say, we're not eating the whole day. So I'm like, okay, uh-huh. So what are we supposed to do instead? And they say, well, what we're going to do today, the whole day is we fast and pray. And I'm like, okay. And then? And then we fast some more and we pray. And so the guy gave a devotion at 6 o'clock in the morning to explain to us how it works. And then he says, we're going to pray the whole day. He, gave a, he, he talked about this verse uh, where Paul says, I die daily. And he just talked about the nature of surrender. And then he says, for the rest of the day, just take, make a list of all the things you need to surrender to God. And just surrender them. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm 22. I own practically nothing like how long conceivably does somebody at 22 take to surrender their whole life <laughs> like seriously like how do I need to take till 6 p.m. in the evening like there's no other instruction and then he released us so we went to our little place I had a plan I was I, I, I for me I told you I always have a plan B so I knew this thing probably 20 minutes 30 minutes an hour max I'll be finished so I went to a room that was a bit far, so that when I finish and I slip out to go and explore Garissa town, that's where we were, nobody will realize I'm gone. And I said, maybe I can do a prayer walk. Actually, what I meant was just, I just want to go and explore this, the city, because I couldn't conceive sitting down a whole day. So I went and sat down, and I said, okay, the, the man told us to write down a list of all the things we need to surrender. So I started writing, 
I said, okay, let me quickly write a list. And I wrote a list, and I wrote, and I was surprised. It was a sizable list. And then I said, let me, again, my methodical mind, let me arrange them from easiest to hardest. Uh, so I just make this efficient. So I arranged them in right order. I said, okay, let's do the prayer. Then I started praying. But the minute I started praying, something supernatural happened. It had never happened to me. I just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. And it's like a presence came on the room. And all of a sudden, I realized this is not a joke. This is business. And God actually means business with me. So I remember praying about the first thing. And then I prayed about the next one. And I just felt as I was giving it up, it's like it was gone. Like it will never come back. It's gone. And I remember praying. And at some point, it became heavy because now they became the things that are closer. You know? I'd always wanted to be rich. Like to have a lot of money. In fact, my classmates would have told you my ambition was to be a millionaire by the time I was 30. And I actually had my cards in order. I, had made, a, I made a lot of money even when I was in college because I was preparing to be rich. I, I, I remember I wanted to be a pharmacist. And if, the reason I wanted to be a pharmacist is not because I have a passion for medicine. It's because one day I was driving to my O-levels uh, when we were selecting subjects for A-levels. And I was in the car with my parents and my, with my dad. And my dad was distracted. And I remember asking him, Dad, what's the profession where you can make the most money in this country. And without even thinking, sometimes I think parents are distracted. So he said, my richest friends are pharmacists. So I went and just filled out maths, biology, chemistry. That was my plan. I was going to be the richest guy. And so I had a plan. So here I am now, and you get to the place where it's like money. God is asking me to surrender. And the Holy Spirit started to show me what that means is if you become extremely poor your whole life, you will still follow me. And I'm like, gulp. Can we move to the next one first? We'll come back to this one. Do you know, at some point I started crying. I was weeping. Like not, I was just like, like tears were streaming because everything I gave, I just felt like it's gone. Everyone is like, poof, it's gone. I remember one of them was my girlfriend. I was dating a beautiful girl. And I felt that this girl is going to be my life partner. I was very, very excited about her. And I just felt God saying, you're giving her up. If I take her, you never see her again. Boom, she's mine. Ah, I cried. And you know, it's interesting. The more I just filled out, the more I released, the more I just felt like God was just pushing me to release it. Give it all up. At some point, I got to the last thing and I just surrendered it. And then I felt a tap on my shoulder and they say, where have you been? We've been looking for you the whole day. I mean, it's, we've been looking for you for a while. It's over. It's time for supper. It's already dark. I hadn't realized the day had gone. And I completely left that room with that. everything on that list was crossed out. You know, when I walked out of that room, I was the poorest person who ever lived. Like I didn't own anything. I'd given up even my health. I was, a, I was, a, I was an athlete. And a, a pretty good one at that. And so I told God, if I get sick from tomorrow and I can never run again, it's yours. I will still love you and serve you. I was the poorest person who was ever alive. I felt poor. But you know what happened to me? For some reason that day, for some reason that, that day, my life changed. 
I want to tell you what change came to me. But let me finish the sermon. Is that okay? Don't forget to remind me. It's not in my notes. So don't forget to remind me because I want to tell you the thing that happened to my life after I walked out of that room. It's the most amazing thing and I believe it's going to be a blessing to you. So will you remember? Who are those people who never forget? By the way, there are some people who never forget. Okay, thank you. Aha, some of you, I'm seeing your hand up. It shouldn't be up. So surrender to Jesus, it's the best thing you could ever do. And I want to share a few reasons. Number one, surrender is the reason why Jesus came. It's the reason why Jesus came. For many people, when we got saved, nobody told us this. We thought Jesus came to save us from hell. We thought Jesus came to make us good people. We thought Jesus came to help us go to church and to have a Christian name. We had many reasons why we thought salvation happened. But you know, the emphasis of the gospel is that Jesus hardly talked about many of these things. Jesus' main message, do you know what his message was? The message of Jesus. You know, we talk about being born again. Jesus only said that once. Once. In the book of John chapter 3 to Nicodemus. Never said it to anybody else. You wouldn't know this coming to our churches because that's all we preach about. It's not, by the way, getting born again is a good thing. Don't misquote me. But that's not what he preached about. Jesus' main message was the kingdom of God. You read it. Read through the scriptures. Read through the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The most amazing thing when you read about Jesus' sermons, all of them, he would say the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Uh, when you're praying, how do you pray? Father, your kingdom come. He talked about kingdom. Now for us, we don't understand that because we live in democracies. We don't understand that a kingdom was a very threatening thing back in the day. Because a kingdom existed as a domain of a king. And when a kingdom came, it meant other kingdoms had to not be there. You couldn't have two kingdoms existing at once. So when Jesus spoke about the kingdom, that's by the way why he was executed. The Romans could not have two kings. Those king who was Caesar. And Pilate's first question is, are you the king of the Jews? That was a seditious thing to say. The kingdom. Jesus came to speak about the kingdom. Jesus came to earth because of the kingdom. You know, the king in the Bible is God. God owns everything. In a, in a kingdom, there's no elections. In a kingdom, there's no democracy. There's no popularity contest every seven or five years. The person who is king, we saw this, didn't we see it recently? Um, when, when Queen Elizabeth died, was there an election? Was there a popularity contest? Did they go, did they put up a search committee? Did they go on social media and ask who is the most popular person? To <laughs> there was somebody who from birth was ordained to take over. Queen Elizabeth could not come out of her position until she died. Because kingship is for life. And then her son, as old as he is, he took over. And he will be king until he dies. Kingship is not by election. It just is. And there's one king on this earth. The Bible tells us Psalm 24 verse 1. 
the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. By the way, in a kingship, there's no, there, there are no multiple, there are no title deeds in kingship. The land belongs to the crown. The way the English ran their empire is that everybody had crown land. If you ever watch those old English movies, how their kingdoms operate, is the king owned everything. And then if he decided, I think I like you, he'd make you the, the earl or the lord of that area. And now you run it. You don't own it. You run it at the king's pleasure. And the Bible tells us the earth is the Lord's. And everything in it. There's only one king. But the Bible tells us that he set out humans and put them on this earth that he owns. And he delegated rulership. He made them the Lord. Just like, just like we've said right now. You're, the, you're in charge of this area. And human beings had authority. They were supposed to rule on behalf of the king. But what did they do? They rebelled. They sided with the king's enemy. They took the word of the enemy against their master. This is what happens in Eden. Eden is not about eating the fruit that you shouldn't eat. By the way, I always used to wonder, how do you eat an apple and then you're kicked out? It's like your child eating sugar. You told them not to eat and then you tell them, you'll never live in my house again. Go! Like, who does that? What kind of evil parent would do that? But that's not what's at issue in Eden. What's at issue is a matter of rebellion. That the king has said it, and you've chosen to do it your way. And you know what? The history of humanity, that's our history as humans. That we like to do it our way. I like to be independent. I don't like to be told what to do. I want to do things that work why you guys look at me like I'm the one who's like this? Yeah? Anybody who struggles to be told by other people what to do? Yeah. We're human beings. Rebellion is our problem. The problem in scripture is not that people were ignorant. Jesus did not come to cure us of ignorance. Jesus came to bring our surrender. That's what the whole story of the scripture is. And the whole story of scripture from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation is God raising up a people who are surrendered to the king. A people who understand voluntarily that this king, this is his earth, and we rule on his behalf. You see, Satan had taken over the kingship of the earth. He became the ruler of the earth because of our sin. He, he, he took over our leadership. And what Jesus came to do, what, what God does, starting with Abraham, all the way to Jesus, is raise up a people who obey, a people who are surrendered, are people who are submitted. And ultimately, Jesus is the most submitted person. He comes to take that place where, he, the Bible says, even though he was in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing. He took on the nature of a servant. He followed. And the Bible says, therefore God has exalted him. Because this is what God wanted in the first place. He was looking for people who would follow him. And humans had rebelled. Because of Jesus, we are restored. We're restored back. And the things that Abmo was talking about this morning, they're given to us. They already are ours, but we lost them. And Jesus comes to restore them. He comes to give us back life. Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. Are you able to put that up? Ephesians 2 verse 1 to 3. Uh, it says, my goodness, who's that at the... My goodness, can I take you? Who's that person who's doing the... I love them. You're hired, whoever you are. It's like, it's like they're in my mind. 
As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. By the way, you know what? Because God is a source of life. When you choose to go your own way, you become dead. We were already dead. When, okay, let me see if you can get this. Huh? If you're somebody who's a believer and you get impatient and you say, God, there are no godly men in this church. I know I want to serve you, but Lord, I need a man. And this one is a good man. Pastors, have you heard this one? He's a good one. He's even better than the saved men. The guys in church, they mess around. This one has good morals. He even has a Bible in his house. And he even prays. He knows. He, he knows. His mom is a deacon in their church. He gives to the poor. Some of the things I don't even see people doing in our church. He even allows me to serve in the worship team. Pastor, surely. How? Now, let me tell you the problem here. The problem is not so much about Christian men and Christian men. Which ones are better? The problem is a problem between life and death. You cannot have life and death cannot partner together. When you are in your sins, you are dead. Listen, sister, that man is dead. Christ has given you life. You cannot yoke life and death together. You can't. It's a life and death issue. <laughs> you win, you win, you win. Somebody say, I'm understanding. Yeah. Without Christ, you're dead. You were dead. He's talking to believers here. So he's using past tense. And he's saying, as for you, what were you? You are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Who's that king, kingdom, that ruler? The spirit who is now at work. Without Christ, that's where you are. It's not a matter of whether you're a good person or a bad person. It's a matter of do you have life or not? Do you have God in you or are you led by the devil? It's, it's just that, that simple. And, and basically, what, what the Bible tells us is that's where we were. We were ruled by the prince of the air. But Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly. And here's the thing. Why did Jesus came? Why did Jesus come? He didn't come to take me to heaven. He came to help me rule. Yeah. That's what Jesus came for. Jesus, you know, I, I used to wait for the day. I mean, you're waiting for the day. He'll come back and take us on the clouds and we're going to rule. Jesus came that we may rule the earth. And that's not New Testament. That's Old Testament. Right from Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Rule and have dominion. I was created to rule the earth. And Jesus came to restore my rulership over the earth. So why is surrender so important? Because that's why Jesus came. Jesus came so that you and I would surrender. Because without surrender, we are dead. Tell your neighbor, without surrender, you're dead. You're dead because you're against the king. You're 
aligned against the king. This surrender thing, by the way, it's, it's, not a, it's not a thing of, oh, now I think I'm ready for the next level of Christian growth. No, no, no. Without surrender, you're dead. And Jesus came for your surrender. Jesus came so that you would live a surrendered life. Number two, surrender is the only way to follow Jesus. It's the only way you can follow Jesus. You know, it's very interesting. Um, when you read the scriptures and Jesus has conversations with individuals, do you realize he doesn't have a packaged formula for leading people to himself? You know, it's very easy for you to memorize, you know, a, a pattern. John 3.16, then you take them through this scripture, and then, you know, it's easy for us, and it's, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you ever notice Jesus' conversations, they are very interesting. You read them and you find very, very interesting conversations. With each person, Jesus was announcing the terms of surrender in their situation. Every person he talks to, he's announcing, here are the terms of surrender for you. So the rich young ruler, Mark chapter 10. Jesus spoke to many rich people, by the way. But this is the only one he ever told. The only way you'll ever follow me is if you go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Don't ever use that as a formula, by the way. Tell all the people in your church, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor. That's not the, you're going to be missing the point of this scripture. It's very interesting because this man's life was ruled by one thing only. What is it? Money. Money. And Jesus looked at this guy. And the Bible tells us Jesus loved him. He looked at him and he loved him. And Jesus' love for this guy was like, I love you so much, the only way you'll ever be happy is if you're broke. By the way, it's, it sounds like a joke. But I know people like that, by the way. I don't know if you know people like that. Pastor, pray for me, my business deal. Uh, things are happening. Things are about to come together. And you pray. And that business deal comes through. Last scene. Last scene. The last time you saw that guy coming to church after that. Now he tells you on Sunday, I'm walking my dog. You know, people like me, we are busy professionals. So on Sunday, it's the only day we have to walk our dog on and, ra and jog in Karura Forest. Uh-huh. Do, do you have people like that in Uganda, by the way? After, now even he's left the WhatsApp group. Because people like him, I mean, the, the level of people he has are not the same level he's hanging out with in the church. Am I talking to somebody in the house? There are some people who, let me just tell you, there are some people who should not be rich. Because money rules them. And Jesus says, unless you sell everything, you will never be my disciple. Because Jesus knows this person, the issue of surrender has to do with money. And if that money continues to be in your life, you will never be a follower. And Jesus says, out of love for you, just stay broke. I speak that over this house. That spirit is being broken right now in Jesus' name. It's being broken right now in Jesus' name. I believe believers have to have money. Yeah, we cannot be saying as poor as a church mouse, as poor as a church mouse. Why, do they, why, are, the, why are the mouses in the mosque not poor? Why are the mosque, the temple mouses not poor? Why is it only church mouses? <laughs> Or is it church mice? What is it? <laughs> Why is it only church mice that should be poor? Yeah. Yeah. Synagogue mouse. You never hear of synagogue mouse. 
Ah, even the mice in your church shall be rich in Jesus' name. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved him. And he said to him, go sell everything. One thing you lack. One thing you lack. Sell your possessions and you'll have treasure. Because he knew the man's surrender issue was money. Ask your neighbor, what's your surrender issue? Number two, Nicodemus. Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the only person Jesus asked to be born again. If you read the scripture in John chapter 3 verse 3, it says, Jesus looked, he says, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What was Nicodemus's idol? What was his thing? What was his, his struggle? Yeah. For Nicodemus, he was a teacher of religion. He was an educated man. He was a leader of leaders. He had respect in the synagogue. He knew so much. And Jesus says, for you, your problem, you know too much. You have to become a child. Get into your mother's womb, be born again. Forget all those things you know. Without that, you will never be my follower. You will never be my follower. Because he understood what this man's problem was. And there are some people that they know too much. Do you know Christians who know too much? Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't talk about this one. <laughs> there, are, there are Christians who know a lot, by the way. Yeah, me, I know Christians who know a lot. And they don't hesitate to let you know they know a lot. Yeah. They do. They teach me. By the way, me, I get taught by Christians all the time. I have Christians who... I have Christians who have gone to, and by the way, I don't say this with any bad feelings, but I've been reported to my, my bishop uh, many times, Bishop Oscar, as people have told him many He's, Many people. And I'm glad that they know they have, at least they have someone they report. You, who do they report to? Because if there's no one to report, they're talking about you behind your back. <laughs> I've been called many things many things. People have questioned everything I teach. And I tell them, you know what? Sometimes I find, Paul, if you read the book uh, when Paul is talking in 2 Corinthians, he's at pains to explain himself. He says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am, I'm, 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 I may be the least of the apostles, but I know something. I saw Jesus. And, 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 and I found myself in that position many times wanting to tell people, by the way, I know something. I know something. I may not look like I know something, but I know something. I have walked with him for many years. I have mentors. I have people who keep me accountable. I'm not just teaching things out of thin air. I've prayed about these things. But you know, sometimes you just keep quiet because they know so much. What a shock. And for Nicodemus, Jesus says, you know what? Unless you're willing to be born again, you can't enter this kingdom. You know too much. Ask your neighbor, what are your terms of surrender? Yeah. Yeah. Samaritan woman, number three. Samaritan woman. 
John 14, John 4 verse 16. That's another conversation. Jesus has these intense conversations with individuals in scripture. John 4 16, he said to her, go call your husband and come back. Now, there is no, I may be wrong. There is no other conversation in the whole of scripture where Jesus told somebody, before we talk, go call your husband. <laughs> it's like, what does that mean? He talks to many women. He does. And he has many conversations with women. This is the only time that's recorded where he says, go call your husband and come back. What was this woman's surrender issue? Relationships. She was addicted to love. There are some people who are in love with being in love. They come out of one relationship, they're in the next one before you can even blink. It's not even rebound, it's, what is it? It's bounce back. It's overlap. As you're leaving this one, you're passing the next one. And then one relationship after another. And they feel that relationships is what will make me happy. If I can just be with the right person. If I can just have my husband treat me this way, then I'll be okay. This one thing I need in my life, if only God can just give me the right person. Ah, Jesus is saying, go call your husband. <laughs> go call your husband. And Jesus knows because she says, I don't have a husband. He says, I know. I know. And I'll tell you why. Yeah, you're right. You don't have one. I know why. He says, you've had five. And the one you're with is not even your husband. And we're still counting. <laughs> this woman was addicted to relationships. That was her surrender issue. She, she thought she loved God. But there was something in her life that was hidden behind her back. Jesus, you can have all of me. But this part, this one you can't. This one is mine. And Jesus says, go call your husband. Number four, the thief on the cross. I'm, I'm trying to give a few conversations. Is that okay? I'm just trying to help you understand. Jesus' model of sharing the gospel was not by giving a prepackaged plan. He every time customized the conversation because he could see into their hearts. And he could tell this is where the rebellion is coming from in this person. And for the thief on the cross, Luke chapter 23, starting from around verse 39. Uh, Luke 23, I think Luke 23, 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. And you the Messiah, save yourself and us while at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? You know, it's very interesting when this guy is saying, save yourself, save yourself. But his partner says something very different. His partner says, don't you fear God even when you're sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And at that point, Jesus said to everybody, close your eyes, lift up your hands, say these words after me, dear Jesus. <laughs> did he do that? No, he didn't. What did he say? This day, this day, you will be with me in paradise. In other words, there's nothing else you need to understand. Your surrender, you're with me right now. What was this man's issue? 
Anybody can see his idol? Machoism. This guy was a thief. He was a tough guy. His friend demonstrated that toughness. Who are you? Save yourself. And his friend says, hush. Don't you understand who this is? And he humbles himself. And he puts himself down. And Jesus says, that's your surrender issue. Because of your surrender, this day you will be with me in paradise. Oh my goodness, are you beginning to understand a bit something about Jesus? That Jesus wants surrender. This is why he came to earth. Because we're, our problem is rebellion. And Jesus understands the only thing that can help you is surrender. Let me do one more. Can I do one more? <laughs> let, let me talk about the short guy. Can I talk about him? Zacchaeus. This, is a, this one, I won't take long. It'll be a short one. Zacchaeus. <laughs> I've been hanging around Pastor Kilonzi for too long. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's not your surrender, clearly. <laughs> Luke chapter 19, verse 8. Luke chapter 19, verse 8. It's a short one, yeah. It says, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Look at what Jesus says in verse 9. Jesus says to him, come on somebody. Today, salvation has come to this house because this man too, Wow, Lord, I, I, I'm returning all this money. I'm giving it to the poor. You're now saved. Doesn't that mess your conception of what it means to be saved? Yeah? Because you're thinking, he, did, he hasn't prayed a prayer. He hasn't said any words that he's supposed to say. But Jesus says, salvation is in your house. What was Zacchaeus' issue? Corruption. Corruption. The man's a thief. He's been conning people. He's used to running his business with shortcuts. I mean, many, many, many Africans, many Kenyans, many Zacchaeuses in this country. We don't know how to run business without shortcuts. I've, I've led many people to Christ who, when they understood this, it meant, I've had people cry and say, it means I can't feed my family. Because all I've been doing is getting tenders from the government using favors. And now you're saying, I can't do that. Pastor, what will I do? I can't sustain my lifestyle. I can't take my kids to school because I've been doing it this way. For some people, this is not a joke. It's a serious, serious issue. Zacchaeus was exactly in the same position. And he said, I give four times away. In other words, I'm not even returning it. I'm returning it with interest. And Jesus says, you finally understand your issue of surrender. I said, today, salvation has come to this house. Wow. You know, we live in an age today when many people follow Jesus, or many people believe in Jesus, but they don't follow him. Many, there are many, I don't know, Uganda is a Christian country, right? A bit like Kenya, right? Yeah, we're Christian countries. We call ourselves Christian. It's a, it's, a, it's a thing that just means I'm not Muslim and I'm not Hindu 
and that I have a name that is English, probably. I'm, I was baptized. My parents went to church. That's what, when people fill out that thing in a census, that's what they basically are saying. But you know, this comes from a failure of discipleship because the issue is not who you believe, it's who's in charge. That's really the issue in your life. It's not who you say you believe. Saying you believe, the words are cheap. The question is who is in charge of your life? That's really the question. Right now, today, who's in charge of your life? There's an interesting scripture because Mark, Matthew chapter 7 verse 21, if you could put up that scripture, Matthew 7 21, Jesus says some very sobering words. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting because we have, our churches are full of people who say, Lord, Lord. Yes. They sing the songs, they know the words. But Jesus says, not everybody who says those words, not everybody who said the sinner's prayer. <laughs> That's what I think he's saying there. Just because you said Lord, doesn't mean you live Lord. And he's saying, the one who does the will, the one who is surrendered to the Father in heaven. The one who obeys the Father in heaven. That's the one who will enter the kingdom of heaven. And if you're struggling to surrender, if you're like me for many years struggling to surrender, it's because you haven't yet understood what salvation means. Because there is no such thing as salvation without surrender. Those are not supposed to be two separate things. They're supposed to happen simultaneously. It's just that we were not taught. That's why for me I had salvation and then I had surrender. And maybe you're here today and you've had salvation, but you never understood surrender. And I believe Jesus is saying to you, your surrender issue, today is the day you give it up. Today is the day you give it up. Number three. Number three reason. By the way, who's my timekeeper? I could preach the whole day. <laughs> Some, somebody needs to wave at me. <laughs> okay. All right. Can you wave when I have like, I come? Okay. All right. She tells me I'm good. Number three, <laughs> Salome looked at her like, he better be good. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor Salome. <laughs> There's no such thing as a self-ruled person. There's no such thing as a self-ruled person. It's a delusion. It's a lie. We live under the illusion of control. The reason we think that we don't want to surrender con control of our lives is because we think we want to stay in control of our lives. What a lie. Yeah, it's a lie. It's a lie. You can't be in control of your life. You're not in charge. That are out there. There's no neutral space. Either God is in charge or the enemy is in charge. There's no neutral space on this earth. And you know what? We cannot live in that denial. You know, we, 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 we organize our lives in denial of eternity. There's uh, one of our professors, uh, my wife and I, who wrote a book called The Denial of Death. It was a very good book because what he's, he talks, his premise of his book is that human beings organize their entire life to try and pretend that there's no such thing as death. Have you ever noticed that? Africans were perfect at this. Huh? Have you ever tried talking to your parents about writing a will? Some of you would be cursed and kicked out of the house. It's almost like if you mention death, Kwani, you want us to die, you know? It's like we don't want to talk about this thing as if it's like we don't believe that the one thing, the 100% certainty if Christ doesn't come back, you know, this thing is not 99% or 99.9%. It's 100% certainty that you will die. It's 100% certainty. Unless Jesus comes and you meet him in the air. That's the only way out of this one. We will all go that way. 
But it's almost like we want to pretend that we're in charge of our lives. That I can actually determine that I'm going to leave this hall and be alive for lunch. That's an illusion. We actually don't have control. Yesterday, my wife and I were driving from Mombasa. And we're listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's how we do it. We're just driving. We're listening to Apmo on, on YouTube uh, as we're driving. And um, enjoying ourselves immensely. And I remember at a place called Mtitoande, I told my wife, we need to stop for a break. And as we stopped, like, I kid you not, I don't know where this guy came from. He was not in my rear view mirror. Like, I don't understand how that car, like how fast that guy was moving. Because you know, you check, you've, you've indicated, you've checked, there's nobody behind you. And then you start turning. And then we just heard this loud hoot. And the guy actually got off the road because he was overtaking us and spun around us and then took off. It was loud and there was dust everywhere. And just like, I tell you, I tell you, and just like this, like we almost went. Like, honestly, you guys, we would have gone. Like, I saw my life just flashing like this. And I could have gone. In fact, at that yesterday, I said, my guardian angel pushed that guy out of the way. Because that guy was, and I'm the one who was, you know, the guy is standing like this, I'm the one. He would have hit me. Somehow, the guy managed to evade us. He went so fast. He was able, you know how you're turning, then you, you're overtaking, the car starts turning. And then he accelerated, even went faster, got off the road, and then went round. And we, he didn't hit us. But I just remember thinking, that's how life goes. Today would have been very different for you guys. Because you'd have been hearing a completely different story. Isn't it? And you know what? I don't fool myself to say that because I'm a servant of God, I can't die. Because all the servants of God before me, <laughs> with the exception of Jesus Christ, have died. They have. Let me tell you, this thing confuses Christians and I don't know why. Why do we get confused about it? I remember two very godly men that I look up to uh, lost their sons in the last couple of years. Bishop Doug was one of them. Bishop Adeboe of RCCG. And it's like, Lord, how? How do men who serve you so, so much lose their children? And I say, because it is the way of men that we will die. Please don't be confused when that happens. It is human. <laughs> it, is a, it is what happened. When, we, when Christ comes back, death will be defeated. Right now, all we know is death has no sting. Yeah, it has no sting, but it still takes us, isn't it? And so you can't control. This is the way of man is not to be in charge. You're not in charge. It's an illusion. Tell your neighbor it's an illusion. You are not in charge. You are not in charge. Yeah. The world is a contested space. It's a contested space. And if you do not submit yourself to Jesus, you are submitting automatically to the enemy. It's just the way it is. So if you say I'm a Christian, but there are some things in my life that are not surrendered to Jesus, guess who they are surrendered to? It's the enemy. It's just the way it is. It's really not a choice for us. God is our loving king. He's our loving king. And he knows that the best thing for us is to follow him. Not to follow our own passions. They don't bring life. They bring death. That's what Adam and Eve discovered. Now, following is not just saying you believe in God. It's not an intellectual argument. It is obeying. It is surrendering. That's what I discovered when I was 22 years old. Number four, 
Surrender saves my life. Surrender saves my life. Let me just say this. You know, we have this impression that there's some things we need to protect from God. It's like there's some things that I just need to make sure he doesn't see because this one is too precious. It's a lie. It's a lie. Matthew chapter 16 verse 25. Just write for us. Matthew 16 25. It's a very interesting one. It says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Will find it. And then Jesus talks about how is it foolish to, to gain the whole world and then to lose your soul. It's a very powerful word picture. I remember having that um, very vividly painted for me when I met an old man. I met this guy. He was um, in probably late 80s, early 90s. Very wealthy. Extremely wealthy. And I met him by accident. My neighbor had, my, my friend had moved out of his house and he told me, uh, it's in a very prestigious part of Nairobi, it's in Lovington. And he says, my landlord is putting up, is tearing down the house and putting up a flat, some flats. And so my friend loves plants. Remember, I love plants as well. So he said, Moravi, come and collect as many plants as you can because they're all going to be taken down anyway. So he had already moved. So I came a little late and I started pulling out plants. And then this old man, very well-dressed, very cultured. You can tell. You, you can tell when people have money. There's a way they walk. Can you see how I'm walking? That's... That's... <laughs> I'm just illustrating for you so you know. This is part of the story. Come on, sit down, sit down, sit down. This is part of the story. <laughs> So, so anyway, anyway, this man shows up, this rich man, his, those people behind, I know, they can't see properly, they need to see. So, 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 they need money, that's what they need. So, so what it is, this guy shows up, and he's well-dressed, got a nice suit, and you can tell he's the owner of the property. And he asked me, young man, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm so-and-so's friend, and I'm here to collect plants because I know that the building is coming down and he, we started talking he was a very pleasant old man and we just started in fact he told me sit down sit down tell me about yourself and we got into this conversation and I told him we, we had many stories and I remember at one point I said dad what are you doing here and he says oh I'm meeting the contractor so that we can plan the building that's coming up I said dad don't you have some young men to do this for you like at your age why are you the one meeting the contractor and he told me a very interesting thing. He said, I have four sons. And he said, the first one is in the UK and uh, is married, has children. The other two live in America. They, uh, they went and made a life for themselves there. And he says, my wife actually went a while back to look after our grandchildren. Does that happen in Uganda? This is how old people divorce in Kenya, separate in Kenya without calling it separation. Uh, and she's been away for a while. And then he says, the only son who's left here is an alcoholic and I can't trust him with this. And I looked at him and I saw a man who had gained the world and lost his soul. None of his kids wanted anything to do with him. 
none of them wanted anything to do with his wealth. They had run away as far as they could from him. They were waiting for him to die so they could dispose of his assets and sell them off. But none of them wanted his company, including his wife. And I looked at a man who he could have had, he probably could have had any woman just by snapping his fingers. But seriously, at 89, who do you want? You want the wife of your youth. You want the person that you've been with all your life. You want your sons around you. And this man was lonely and all he could do, in fact, the picture I had of him is a man who until the day he dies will be supervising new buildings, making more money because that's all he knows to do. What a tragedy to gain the whole world and lose your soul, to lose your soul. You know, it's very interesting because Jesus says in Mark chapter 8 verse 35, whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. There's just a thing that when you lose your life for Jesus, it's the best investment you can ever make. You gain everything. You, 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 you look like you're losing. You look foolish. But actually you gain everything. And how many rich fools do you know? I know so many. I know so many people. People I went to school with. Uh, back in the day, we we're still friends who today have all the wealth in the world, but have miserable marriages, miserable homes. Their children aren't talking to them. We're only in our 50s and already they're living that life. And it's because of this scripture. Whoever wants to save his life, they thought they were saving their life, but they were losing it. So let me just say this again. Surrender saves your life. Tell your neighbor, surrender saves your life. Ah, it's the best thing you can ever do. You think you're hiding it from God, but you're actually destroying it. When you surrender it, you're giving it to the one who gave it to you. And oh my goodness, he knows you better than you know yourself. Number five, surrender leads to true satisfaction. Surrender leads to true satisfaction. You know, God is your father. God is not your boss. God is love. He loves you. He has the best interests at heart. Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 Matthew 11, uh, 28, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble at heart. And then he makes a promise. He says, When you take my yoke, what happens? You will find rest to your souls. You know, carrying the whole world on your shoulders is a lot of stress. I know a lot of people who are carrying a lot of stress right now. They feel like, have you ever seen that picture of Atlas? The guy who used to, the Greek guy who used to carry the whole world on his shoulders. Man, what a tiring job. But there are many people who are carrying the whole world on their shoulders because they believe it all belongs to them. It, if, they, if they let this thing go, oh my goodness, it will not su su survive. I remember I've talked, even this week, I've talked to wife, a wife in that situation who is like, ah, I'm like, let, let go. Just pray for your husband. Stop trying to change him. She's like, ah, but my children, but if I let go, and I'm like, are you tired being like that? Yeah. Do you think this thing will kill you? Yeah. Why don't you just let go? She's like, no, I want to. But this is hard. I don't know what will happen if I let go. The man may stop being responsible. I'm like, 
So when you're being like that, you think you're, being, you're helping him to be responsible. And just release it. Release it. Just allow me to carry it. And Jesus says, I'll give you rest. You know, there's something called wealth without sorrow. Yeah. I've been teaching that to my, my sons and daughters. I've been telling them the way of the world is wealth with sorrow. The world will teach you all manner of things. And by the way, let me just tell you, when you go into these worldly seminars about money, you get very impressed. Guys talk about leverage. And they, they, talk, they, they use such big language, you know, pivoting. And, and you know, as a Christian, sometimes you can just think, man, I'm the dumbest guy in this room. These guys know so much. People are talking about hedging and their portfolios and all that and derivatives. And you're looking at it and thinking, okay, silver and gold, I don't know much about this. But such as I have, I can give to you. By the way, the name of Jesus, it's so weird. <laughs> right now, if I told you I'm wealthy, you probably wouldn't understand. Do you believe it? You know, the, 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 the development that my wife and I right now are, 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 are running is probably, if it was valued, would probably be in maybe a billion shillings. How many dollars is that, somebody? <laughs> Your calculator. <laughs> Can I tell you how we came across that development? One day, God, one day, Mavuno Church had a fund. We needed to fundraise to buy the land in Hill City. And God told the church, you know what? Um, we're not going to do any fundraiser. Just ask people. He told me to tell people, just give your tithe. That's what's going to run the church. And then pray and ask God to give a to give you a number and that number pledge it and give it and so that's what we did my wife and I prayed God gave me the number when I had the number I said get thee behind me Satan there's no way God can give you a number like that that's a lie I say that's a lie that's the devil trying to make me poor never so <laughs> So I told my wife, the number was $50,000, uh, five million shillings. So I, told, I went and told my wife, sweetie, as you're praying, what's the Lord telling you? What are you hearing God saying? Let me hear a reasonable woman here of God. And she told me, I don't know if you believe this, but I sense that God is saying we give five million shillings, $50,000. I said, ah, how? How now? So I could no longer hide. And then God said, I want you to announce that amount to the church tell them you're going to give 50,000 that's your pledge and so with a lot of fear and trembling I announced it to the church I said as you're giving your pledges for Pastor Karen and I it's 5 million shillings and people gasped <laughs> people gasped because they know their pastor you know people know you as a pastor yeah yeah they know they, they have put you already in a place they know your place. You're, you're, not, you're not here, but you're also not here. They know, they know where you roughly... They know, the, they know your playing field. Aha, aha, you know what I'm talking about. 
Now, if I had time, I'll tell you that story. <laughs> okay. Should I tell the story? Babe. Okay. Have permission, have permission, have permission. I'll tell I have permission, I'll tell it. So so God God has taught us two principles. Faith and faithfulness. Those two things are different. Faith is when God puts that number in your heart and you say, This is what I'm giving for my first fruit. It's a number that I cannot conceive. I don't have what it takes to give it, but God has given me the number. That's faith. Faithfulness is when you say, I don't have it, but such as I have, I give. And I will trust God that as I give it, he will multiply it. Because you know, there are some people who make a pledge, then they wait for God to give them the pledge. As if it's God who made the pledge. Yeah? So the year is already halfway. You gave your fast fruit pledge, but you're still waiting for God to give the pledge. And God is looking at you like, are you mad? It is you who is supposed to be giving me. Now you're waiting for me to give you. What is that? So we've learned faith and faithfulness. So, so we made a commitment and we said, we don't have 5 million shillings, but we have our salary. Both of us were on salary at the time. And so that, next, that month, we gave both our salaries and waited for the Lord to make a miracle. And nothing happened. And so the next month, we said, okay, you have to provoke miracles. So we said, let's give another month's salary. So we gave another salary. Two, nothing happened. So now we had run out of reserves. We just have in our account. So we said, this one is when our faith, the other two, we had sight. Now we're entering the realm of faith. So we called our children for a small conference, told them now, this month. No, this one affects them. The other two did not affect their lifestyle. So this month, do you guys like meat? Uh-huh. Just understand, this month we're not eating meat, sausage, cereal, all those nice things. We say to them, because we want to give to God's house. And our kids, because they were young and sweet, they said, Whatever it is you say, let's do it. Let me just say, for those of you who have young and sweet kids, praise God for them right now. Because they will grow to an age when it will not be such an easy conversation. I think if we were to try that today, we would have to have a real meeting. Huh? By that time, they're like, oh, let's do it. With minutes. With minutes. <laughs> and some people might say, what if I opt out? You guys give your portion. So, what happens next? We gave it. That week, I was teaching in church. And somebody asked me, Pastor M, please, can I have your keys? So I gave the keys. And I thought nothing of it. The keys were returned. In the evening, I went to the parking lot to look at my car. My car looked, was leaning in a manner likely to suggest that it had a flat tire. But when I went, the tire was okay. But the car was full of groceries. And somebody had bought like they had bought out, those were the days of Nakumat. Somebody had bought out the whole of Nakumat and just filled our car and stuffed it with, and until this day, I've never known who it is. And I remember when I took the car home and I got told the kids, come and help me and park. And I've told them that month, we're not eating meat. 
and we're only eating beans. And they're removing things from the car. And they're removing all manner of meats. All expensive brands from that place. And I remember the kids asked, uh, please explain again, how did this happen? And we told them, this is how the Lord provides. It was three months worth of shopping that was provided for us. That was just a very small miracle on this journey. Because after that, a friend paid for us uh, for a holiday to go to the U.S., uh, with our kids, with an empty account, empty, empty bank account. All five of us went for six weeks to an amazing holiday in the U.S. And after that, when we landed, another friend said, called us. By the way, I was, I was, I was due to take some leave away from work. And I was very tired because of fundraising. And another friend called and he said, I hear you on your holiday with the kids in the States, in your sabbatical. The, fr the friend was very wise. His kids were my, ages, my kids' ages. He said, that's not a good way to rest. He said, you'll be tired. I said, I know, but what do I do? He says, come to New Zealand where I live. And if you drop the kids in school and just come with your wife, then I'll just teach for me over the weekend. And I will pay for a holiday for you and your wife to rest. After teaching for him, we had 10 full days in New Zealand, followed by 10 full days in Australia. Fully paid holiday. Just the two of us. <laughs> so, all right, let me finish the story. This is not my, by the way, they are pausing. This, this time is not counting, isn't it? This is not the sermon. This is the story. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, <laughs> so, so, so then, we come back. And my wife and I had made a pledge before we, before the offer for the U.S. came. There's a piece of land we had loved. We bought it as a retirement home. And we realized it's the only asset we can sell to pay off this debt to the Lord. For me, any pledge I make to the Lord is a debt. I treat it like a debt. I owe, and I don't like to owe. And I said, we're going to sell, we, we said with my wife, we're going to sell this, our one asset that can get us this money. We struck a deal with a man who liked the asset. And we told him, so long as you pay us cash, we gave him a price that was probably about three quarters of the price. It was a good deal for him, but it's because we wanted cash. And the minute we said that and we agreed, it was a very sad day for us. You can imagine giving up your retirement home. That's, that week is when my friend called me about the U.S. and the one about the New Zealand called me. So on the way back from New Zealand, um, we're, we're brooding on the plane because we're thinking we left people struggling. Even the holiday was good, but in your mind, in the back of your mind, you're remembering the warriors fighting and raising money and deadlines coming up to buy the land. And so we agreed on the plane. The first thing we do when we land, we call that guy and we get the money and take it to church. I land, we get home, my wife's upstairs unpacking, I open my laptop. There's an email. Somebody I don't know very well, a lady who comes to our church, and she wrote, Pastor M, I sense a message from the Holy Spirit. And God is saying, this land you're planning to sell so that you can give the money to the church, don't do it. I say, huh? Like nobody knows this story. It's between my wife and I and one pastor in the church. And she says, the Lord has seen your sacrifice. The Lord has heard your prayer. He's seen what you're doing. And he has said, it is enough. This property was not for you. It was a property for your children's inheritance. So now, relax and let the Lord do it. I couldn't, I couldn't talk. I was dumb. I, 
encounter with the Holy Spirit. When, when you meet God, it changes you. I went and I slept. I didn't say goodnight to my wife. Next morning, she woke me up. And she said, uh, you didn't even say goodnight. What happened? I said, go downstairs. Open my laptop. Read the one that is the first one there. She went and did it. She disappeared for an hour. <laughs> I don't know where she went. She just disappeared. What a wife. <laughs> she came and told me, it's clearly the Holy Spirit. Let's go and meet those people and give up and tell them we can't sell the land. So we went. We met them. I was feeling very embarrassed. Can you imagine using the God card? I'm sure that in my mind, I was like, they'll be thinking they got a better offer. And now they're saying, Jesus, we just sense God is telling us. So I was very embarrassed. But I remember we sat with them, made them dinner, gave them many stories. You know Africans? How are the children? Which school did you take them? Why did you chew chicken? How are your chickens? <laughs> How are those potatoes? Then as they are beginning to look at their watches to say it's time to go home, you say, now the reason we called you. Any Africans in the house? Uh -huh. not yours to sell. But he also told us he will reveal to you. So we've been waiting for him to reveal to you. And so that was it. What a revelation. Yeah. We went home relieved but wondering how will the Lord provide? It's his church. Gosh, do you guys want to hear this story? It's such a long story. Okay, okay. Let me quickly, let me quickly, let me quickly. Yeah, yeah. Sit down. The guys at the back can't see. Sit down so they can see. <laughs> so, we, we went, we, my dad called me. My father called me. My father is a minister. Um, he's, a, he's an Anglican pastor. Lovely man. My dad is a real example of a father. Uh, even at this age, if he knows I want something, he will go out of his way to get it for me. I, he, when I grow up, I hope to be a father like him. So my dad had had us one day mention a piece of land we had seen. Beautiful land. And he had just had us admiring it and saying, one day somebody will own that land. And they'll be so happy. It will be in a magazine. My dad made it his business to walk around that area until he found the owner. And he got to meet him. And my dad is one of those guys who is very likable. Everybody likes him. You know, what's that TV show called Everybody Likes Raymond? Like, my dad is Raymond. Like, everybody likes my dad, you know? And, 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 and everybody, I mean, he got to befriend the guy. He found out they were both Anglicans. They both knew which bishop. They talked their church jargon until the man, he told him, my son wants to buy your land. The man says, whichever son of yours wants land, call him. So my dad called me and told me, on Saturday, we have made a date for you to buy the land. I'm thinking, the account is empty. But out of obedience to my father, we showed up. The man walked us around the property, showed us the highlights. Then he told us, how much, um, how much land do you want? And uh, you, you remember, we don't even have enough to buy one eighth of an acre. My wife whispered to me, ask for 10 acres. <laughs> hey! 
Marry well. Yeah, marry a godly woman. Marry a godly man. Yeah. Don't just marry a guy because he's handsome. Yeah, what a sweetie. <laughs> so I, I look at the man. The man looks, uh-huh, how much are you saying? I tried. I tried to open my mouth. The, I felt like I was choking. I opened louder to say. Eventually, I weakly said, six. Not even, even the six, I was wondering, what have I just said? Then the man said, okay. Then he asked, uh-huh. And how long will you take to pay it? So at this point, I'm like, things are moving too fast. This is not a good plan. I gave him a ridiculous, no, first he asked, how much? I gave him a ridiculous price. You know those prices where a guy says, ah, very good. Come back when you're ready. <laughs> when I gave him the price, he said, huh. And then he says, how long will you take to pay me? I said, ah. Now this story is not the going the way it should be going. So I told him, um, again, I thought of a ridiculous timeline. Again, I'm really trying to deter this man. Like, get out of my hair. So I gave him a ridiculous timeline. And then the man finished with my parents, and then he said, okay, on Monday, send, get your lawyer to write a sale agreement. Send it to my office on Monday. I'll, be, I'll sign it. We have a deal. Then tell me how you'll pay. And he drove off. My parents went. I was left with my wife. I looked at her. I said, what have you just done to us? <laughs> you know what she said? She said, the Lord said he'd provide. In her mind, she connected what the Lord had said in that email with this. So, long story short, two of our friends came to see the land. They loved it. They loved it. It's a beautiful piece of land. They loved it. They made a commitment. One of them bought two acres at full market price. Cash. By the way, when I went to the sale agreement, I had, I had a down payment. The man looked at me like, hey, this pastor is serious. Uh, cash. Serious cash. The next friend brought several, uh, he brought his friends. And they bought, uh, each of them bought a quarter of an acre. By the time they were done, we had sold four of the six acres. With the money from that six acres, we were able to pay our entire pledge to church. And we're left with two acres that we did not earn or work for. Okay? By the way, why am I taking time to tell you this story? It's because it's hard to convince people. It's hard to convince people that surrender leads to true satisfaction. It's hard because people think they know what satisfaction is. I tell you, the people of the world have very impressive language. And sometimes you sit with them and you think, but I'll be poor if I... So, long story short, the guy, the two acres I'm left with, we call these people to a meeting to say, how do we subdivide the land? And these people, they're smart. Some of them are architects, whatever, all sharp people. Not like, not Pastor, Kara and I, we're just the pastors. We've got some serious people around the table. And they say, this land is too good for us to divide. Let's create a gated community. Let's get some leading architects in this country to do a competition and make a design. And when they make the design, then let's see who the winning architect is. They can divide, they can draw for us a gated community and we can all live there. So we did that. Winning architect, three farms, one, one. They designed something fun, amazing, stunning. We loved it. The architect loved the place so much that he actually bought a property 
he actually just said i'll be the first one to buy can you believe it at the end of at the end of that time we got <laughs> enough money from this to actually build on that land do you remember the original land the children's inheritance we built an 11 bedroom guest house called Isaac house some of you have been to Isaac house um 11 self contained bedrooms it's an a beautiful place a guest house some some of you can testify and the interesting thing is it came from cash from those sales and then in addition the lord allowed us in the same time to be able to pay <laughs> Did I give the other story about the pledge oh my goodness because what happened is we got enough money remember we paid the 5 million the minute we paid the 5 million i forgot to say this very important part the day i came to give the 5 million in church i was so excited have you ever given that kind of money first of all my heart let me tell you what happened your heart beats as the offering basket is getting closer your heart is even beating more <laughs> it's an exciting thing it's an exciting thing i felt like a philanthropist i felt like bill gates I was like this is how these people feel it's more blessed to give than to receive let me tell you it felt good the minute the offering the money hit the offering the check hit the offering basket i had a clear unmistakable voice and by the way i'm not that guy who hears this voice like that clearly like that but i had that voice say i want you to pledge now 10 million shillings not 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 to finish another five a complete pledge of 10 million and i want you to announce to the church so i looked at my wife she was sitting by me in church and i said sweetie i don't know if you're hearing anything <laughs> she told me she told me i think god is saying we give 10 million shillings <laughs> so that's why that part is important i didn't mention that part it's a very important part because now you know of course you think you've finished the exam it's just beginning you think you've been given a child and then the lord says now i want you to sacrifice the child that's how it felt but you know what happened after these people now build we're no longer selling land remember i had two acres the two acres stopped being two acres it became eight amazing homes eight homes and we started selling the homes and from the proceeds of those homes is how we were able to build an 11 bedroom guest house in addition in that time we've been able to pay back the 10 million shillings to the church and we're putting up our own home out of the eight homes one of them is ours that we've not paid for it's been paid for by the rest of the land and the 6 acres god's people has now become 17 acres of an incredible development that has nothing around it nobody will ever be able to build a bar a mosque anything around that space without my permission people when i sit in those boardrooms and people talk about leverage and you know you have to take you have to get cgi what equity partner and you have to do this i look at them and i say oh I, pivot pivot to jesus imagine jesus has what it takes 
He is a source of true satisfaction. The earth is the Lord's and everything. You can be rich without knowing anything. You can be rich by following Jesus. And by the way, don't get me wrong. I teach people to be good stewards of God's resources through the word. Because the word has everything on finance. I don't, need to, I don't need to become an expert in banks. Banks don't know me. I don't owe a debt to any bank. I don't believe that I need to. Because I believe in the power of a divine idea. One idea from God. One idea is enough to turn your whole life around. So why do you fear to surrender? He has it all. It's all his thing. He turns your life around like that. And I'm sitting here telling you guys that here we are, Pastor Moravi and Carol. If you come to that development, you'll be sure. You, I'm sure you will think some international conglomerate somewhere is developing it. And then we'll tell you it's us. What do you know about architecture? Uh, we know architecture Moses Mokis. <laughs> That's as much as we know. <laughs> That's what we know. But here's the thing, guys. Satisfaction comes from him. Come to me, Isaiah 55. Come to me, you who are thirsty. Come to the waters, you who have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Ah, you don't need money. He is enough. He is sufficient. He says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? He says, listen to me. Eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest of fare. In the richest of fare. I've told my pastors, none of them will be poor. Yeah, they can't. It's impossible. It's impossible. It's very impossible. Why? Because they are following us and we're following Jesus. Yeah. And as they just are obedient and as they surrender, they will experience the same blessings of surrender we're experiencing. It's just the way it is. Let me tell you, this thing of surrender, it sounds like you're, it sounds like, it's like, what are you asking me to do? I'm going to die. Uh -uh. Let me tell you what, this is the only way to life. Real life. My wife and I, we've never ever neglected our children. We're home. Four nights a week. Even Mavuno, by the way, I don't sacrifice my family for Mavuno. My, my people will tell you, I carry Mavuno like this. It's not mine. It has an owner. Yeah, yeah. I, of course, I'm a hard worker, but I work when it's time to work. When it's time to rest, I rest. Because I don't have the whole world in my hands. I know who does. I know who does. Ah, my goodness. When you seek first the kingdom of God, guess what happens? All other things are added. The people of the world, they are chasing the things of the world. And many Christians have done the same thing. We are chasing the things of the world, saying, let me first serve these things, and then I'll serve God when I have money. Ah, 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 ah. It's a lie. It's a lie from hell itself. Don't believe that lie. There's a joy in surrender. My wife will tell you, I've slept well. I think almost every night she's known me. I, I'm not that girl who loses sleep over things. Oh, Sidri, who said what? Oh, Sidri, who left which church? 
OCG what? I'm like, it's Jesus' church. It's not mine. I'm his. If they say I'm Illuminati, they called him a son of Belzebub. Surely, how, why would I expect any different? I'm not here for them. I know who I'm serving. By the way, I'm not even here for my congregation. I'm here for the king of kings. Yeah, he's the one I'm here to serve. Because I'm dead. Paul says I died. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. So, so here's the thing, guys. Why, did I, why, why am I sharing this? I, I really believe when we talk about what Abmo was talking about this morning, for you to truly access that life of freedom, when you actually enjoy everything that Jesus has for you, when you're saying, Lord, I want more of you. How many people want more of Jesus? Yeah, I want more. I want more. I want everything. But here's the thing that Jesus is saying. Ah, you already have more of me. It's me who needs more of you. Yeah. You already have it all. The problem is I don't have all of you. Ah, if I have all of you, you will experience all of me. The thing that's holding you, that surrender issue in your life, that you're holding on to. It's the thing that is keeping you from experiencing everything we talked about this morning. And the gate into that life where you experience everything that has, Jesus has for you is the gate of surrender. It's when you come and say, Jesus, all that I am, all that I have, all I've ever hoped to be are yours. Are yours. It's a really great song. This guy sings, huh? Um, do I dare sing when worship harvest guys are there? <laughs> I have more than a song today. I brought myself. I am the sacrifice. I have more than a song today I brought myself I am your worship sing it with me I have more than a song today I brought myself I am the sacrifice I have more than a song Today, I brought myself, I am your worship, receive this living sacrifice, I am your worship, accept this living. Accept this living sacrifice. I am your worship. Receive somebody sing. Receive this living sacrifice. I am your worship. Accept, accept this living sacrifice. I am your worship. You know, even as we sing this song, 
I don't know if you're here and the Lord has convicted you just about stuff you've been holding on to. Maybe you've, you love Jesus. There's no maybe. The only reason you're here today is because you love Jesus. The only reason you take a Saturday to be here is because you love Jesus. Only way you take a flight from Kampala if you're from Uganda is because you love Jesus. But perhaps there's some things in your life you've held on to. And you've said, this particular thing, Lord, I'm not willing to let go. It could be your marriage. It could be your children. It could be your dreams for your education. It could be your financial situation. It could be whatever it is. I don't know what it is. You know it, your health. And there's just a thing you're saying, Lord, this one thing, if you don't do for me, I don't know. This one thing, if you don't give to me, I don't know. And Jesus is saying, I came for your surrender. I came for you. I want you to live the life that I designed you for, not the life you think is best for you. Because I'm your God. I made you. I fashioned you. I already know what's best for you. The only thing is, will you trust me? Will you say, Lord, take it, all of me, all that I am, all that I have, all that I hope to be, I surrender it to you. And if this is you, I'm going to ask you just to raise up a prayer before the Lord right now. Just begin to say, Lord, whatever it is, speak to him about that particular issue. Uh, there's a thing that's been holding you back in your faith. There's just a condition you've been giving God in your service. There's just a situation that you've been holding on to. For some of you, it may be fame or just your reputation. What people think of you. Uh, whatever it is, just say, Lord, I surrender it to you. I'll be a fool for Jesus if that's what it takes. Some of you, you've had the call to be a church planter and you've been saying, but I'm not that person. That's not who I am. Uh, I, want to, I want to do faith on my terms. And Jesus is saying, I want you to surrender that thing. Uh, it's not you who made you. I made you. Come on, just raise up a prayer right now. Speak to the Father right now. Just call out to Him. Say, God, I'm here. I surrender. Use me. Everything about me is yours. All my money is yours. My car is yours. My children are yours. My house is yours. There's nothing I'm holding back. I want you to have all of me. Every single thing, Lord. I want you to have all of me and more. Take it, Lord. I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. With my youth, I will serve you. With my mind, I will serve you. With my resources, I will serve you. With my skills, I will serve you. I will not be ashamed of this gospel because it is a power of God for salvation. Lord, I'm yours a hundred percent. Lord, I'm yours. If you're looking for somebody on this earth, look no farther. Here is somebody who's willing to be used completely for Jesus. I'm not holding anything back. I'm yours a hundred percent. Lord, take me with everything I have, my family, my finances. They're yours, oh God. They're yours, oh God. They're yours, oh God. I surrender it. Come on, surrender to Jesus. Bless you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. And so, Lord, we just come before you to say, receive a living sacrifice. Receive this living sacrifice. Somebody here who, as you've been listening to today's conversation and yesterday's, you've said to yourself, you've written yourself off. You said, I'm too young. I'm too young. When the people are being told they're pastors of a thousand, you've said, I'm too young. That doesn't qualify. I'm not qualified for that. 
There's somebody else who said, I'm just a woman. I don't have what it takes. I'm single. I don't have what it takes to lead at that level. There's somebody else who wrote off yourself and you said, I'm still poor. I don't have the resources. And I sense that the Lord is saying, the most important thing is not who you are, but who is in you, who you're carrying. And it's time for you to stop sinning by limiting the God in you, limiting the size of the God in you. And if you're here, I want you to just say, Lord, I surrender. Lord, I surrender. I will do what you're asking me to do. And some of you who've had a very clear instruction from God already, and you've been holding back, but you're saying, Lord, I will do it. Lord, I will do it. I just sense right now, even as I pray, there's somebody here. You made a commitment to follow God. You've given the step of faith. But you've not taken the step of faithfulness. You're still waiting for the miracle to happen for you to start following God fully. You're still waiting for the, that payout in your business. That degree to be complete. And then you follow. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Thank you for your faith. But it's time for faithfulness. With the little you have in your hands, I want you to start to serve me. I want you to start to do it in your little room. Without the resources. Serve me now when you're still young and poor. Because I will bless you as you do that. And so if this is you, just begin to say, Father, I receive this. I take this. I commit myself to do this. I will not hold anything back from you. I will serve you. Bless you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. I just sense there's a marriage that God is speaking into. I don't know why that has just kept sinking into my spirit. And I particularly just sense that it's a sister. There's a lady here who you've been so stressed by the state of your marriage. You've not been able to surrender it to God. You felt you can't trust your husband. And you felt you just have to hold and take control. And you're not even able to surrender this thing to Jesus fully. You feel like you have to stay aware and alert. You have to hold on to it. And Jesus is saying, today is the day you surrender that marriage to me. Today is the day you surrender that man to me. Today is the day you surrender that house to me. My sister, if you will do this today, I promise you, I promise you, and this is a prophetic word, that something is going to change in that marriage. That the prayers you've been praying for and trying to achieve by your own strength, you will see God do a great victory for you. And God will set you up. Let me speak to you, my sister. God will set you up and you will become an example to teach many younger women about how to look after their homes and how to follow their husbands. And so receive that word. If this is your word, just say, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. Some of you are receiving it in tears right now. But this is God's word for you. Surrender that marriage. Surrender that situation. And so, Father, I thank you for your people. Ah, Lord, there's joy in surrender. There's joy in surrender. And so right now, the last thing I want to pray for, Lord, as your children have surrendered, I thank you because already there's joy in this house. But I'm praying that, Lord, you will multiply the joy in this house. I declare over every family here that joy will become the normal state of being for your family. In Jesus' name, I declare a season of joy coming right now. I declare a darkness lifting up right now from your homes. Yes. I declare that stress and worry is not 
it's not your portion in Jesus name I declare that you will walk in joy and listen joy has nothing to do with circumstances joy has to do with who is in you through your circumstances and I declare over you right now the joy of the Lord is your strength our Lord overwhelm your people with joy come on receive God's joy right now our Lord receive re release your joy release your Holy Spirit release your joy upon your children right now I declare a spirit of joy is coming upon this room I declare lightness of spirit is coming across this room I declare that gloom is being dispelled darkness is being dispelled joy is coming into this house we bless you Jesus we receive your joy come on somebody shout to Jesus we love you Lord amen Come on, can you appreciate the Lord for great gifts? Wow! <laughs>